Welcome to the OA Serenity Sunday Meeting Podcast. Serenity Sunday is now hybrid, meeting in person at Roxbury Park in Beverly Hills and on Zoom. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroups webpage at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live in either iteration. Now that we're meeting in person, Serenity Sunday has regular meeting expenses and would appreciate Seventh Tradition donations to help support the meeting and this podcast. You can donate via Venmo at Serenity Sunday. Last four digits of the phone number are 6255 or through PayPal, Serenity Sunday 1212 at gmail.com. The opinions expressed on the Serenity Sunday podcast are those of the individual speaker and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. And now, our speaker. My name's Corey. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm a restrictor, and I'm also a type 1 diabetic. Um, and uh, I also am relatively new to wearing hearing aids. So the, you know, you asking me to speak louder is just a function of me learning to, to get adjusted to hearing myself louder. And, um, and I don't need them all the time, but I need them with certain voices, so I wear them all the time. So you just bear with me. Um, I uh, I came to Overeaters Anonymous in 1989. I got here from Al-Anon. Um, if you've heard my story, you've heard my quirky little thing that I've heard. But um, I heard that if you come to if you come to AA through Al-Anon, it's called coming in through the back door. And if you come to OA from Al-Anon, it's called coming in through the kitchen door. So I came into OA through the kitchen door, um, and uh, I. Um, I got to Al-Anon because my sister asked me to come to a meeting with her. She needed support and I loved it. People started talking about feelings and they had labels for feelings that I, it's like I knew the words in English, but I didn't know, I, I just never would have associated those with feelings that I could have. And, and I saw them have them in the room. And I saw, it was just really, that was powerful for me. And about nine months into Al-Anon, um, I call it my first spiritual experience in OA because I uh, I mentioned to someone in Al-Anon that I was struggling with my food, and I didn't typically talk about my food. Um, I lived in the dorms for a number of years in college. I was in college when I found you all, um, and I nobody saw me eat the, the bulk of what I ate. They saw me eat with them the meals that I ate, but the bulk of what I ate was not eaten in public. Um, and uh, and and my restricting didn't start till later, and there's other reasons for that. But um, so uh, I got here. So I, like I said, my first spiritual experience coming to OA is that I um, uh, talked to someone in Al-Anon about my food, and then they suggested that I come here, and I came here, and I immediately loved being here with all of you because you guys were talking about what you did with food in ways that I didn't think I would ever tell anybody else. And um, I uh, I was, I have a playlist of podcasts that I listened to in my car and a podcast of mine came up and I changed it. But what I heard that came up was a story that I had told some year that um, when I was a kid, I uh, in the middle class had to use the bathroom. I asked for permission. I went to the bathroom and on the playground, there was a donut on the ground and I ate it. And I never thought I would tell anybody that. And and I heard somebody in their first meeting say that they went um, oh, that they went 
um, if I wind up in here alone, then I'll start to take it personally. Um, that uh, that um, someone said that they threw food away in the trash and that they went back to, to get it out of the trash and ate it. And I had done that and I had eaten this donut off the playground and I had stole food and I had stole money for food and I stole clothes because I didn't feel like I was wearing what everyone else wore. And all of that was part of the package of me being a compulsive overeater and the low self-esteem that I had. And, and what I didn't know at the time until I got here, that it wasn't just I eat because I feel like I'm not good enough. I also, that's a piece of it, but I also eat because I have this physical allergy that's talked about in the big book, in the AA big book. Um, and, and the physical allergy has me wanting to eat more, even when I don't want to eat more. And I, I, someone recently shared this thing with me that they had heard in a meeting that if, if the only, you know, that old saying, if the only tool I have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And if the only tool I have is food, every feeling looks like hunger. And that's who I was. Every feeling looked like hunger. And, um, and I still get confused with that, but the difference is I, I have, gosh, 20 minutes is going fast, I'm sure, but I have the ability to pause when agitated, like it also tells me in the literature. So I, I take a moment if I feel like I'm hungry and it's not a normal mealtime. Am I really hungry? Am I not really hungry? So that every feeling that I have doesn't automatically become food. You know, I don't automatically use the tool of food. Um, when I first got here, I was in a little town. There were two meetings a week. The next biggest town was about 10 minutes away, and that was far. Like, I don't know anyone that comes from a small town. There's a small town culture of, like, you just don't go to, I mean, it just was far. And I lived in a town called Arcata, and Eureka was the next town. And I'd gone to those meetings with those people, but mostly stayed in Arcata. And my two meetings a week, there was like a, I forget, maybe a Tuesday night and a Saturday morning meeting. And and I and I didn't go to both. I went to one and usually the Saturday morning meeting. And um, a big meeting was like five people, five or six people. And um, that was the culture that I was born into here. When I moved back to Los Angeles, I was really afraid that you all were going to have a perfect program, perfect programs. And I was going to come and still be struggling and I wasn't going to fit in and you weren't going to accept me. And that's also a part of my you know, I have this compulsive overeating thing and this body dysmorphia, but also I've got this kind of spiritual dysmorphia that I'm going to be different than all of you and you're not going to accept me. So why even bother? And I got back to Los Angeles and I started going to meetings. I wasn't yet abstinent and I was really struggling. And I started going to this Thursday night recovery from relapse meeting at the Westside Baptist Church, which um, is a great place for a nice Jewish girl. And I, um, and I remember in one of my first few meetings, and I always dragged my brother with me because, and he's, I don't think he's one of us, but I, I, he was still in high school and I needed him. And, um, and he, um, and I said, I remember sharing that I didn't think I had a right to be here because I didn't know if I had the desire to, to stop eating because I wanted to keep on eating. That was just my, my disease had me by the neck. Like I was just neck, neck deep into this thing. And, gratefully. And now I want you guys, I'm going to say this because I want us all to know that what we say to newcomers is so important because if we're rude to them, they're going to get a sense that that's OA. And if we're supportive of them and we tell them some tidbit or we tell them what we know, that it's like what Bob and Bill did in the beginning of AA, they didn't go and say what the what they think the person needed. They led with what they were like as drunks. And, you know, and I, um, the, this woman leaned 
leaned over next to me after I shared, which we would call crosstalk now. And I don't, I, I was really grateful for it though. And she, I said, I don't think I have a right to be here because I don't have a desire to stop eating. And my share was over and she leaned over and she said, but you're here. So maybe you do. And thank God for her because I, I mean, I likely still would have come back because I didn't have much of a social life here in Los Angeles yet because I had been gone for a number of years. But but she basically said, you are welcome here. You're welcome here because you got here, your butt's in the chair, you're in a meeting and you are still eating, but that's okay because you're here and that must mean that you want to be here. And it like loosened it for me. I'm, you know, I create all these, part of my restricting part of my disease is that I create all these rules. And the problem is I don't validate the rules with people in the world. Like, oh, is this a rule that if I'm still eating, I can't come to an OA meeting? Like, I don't validate those things. Luckily, that woman validated it for me that that's not a rule, that you can come here. So if you're still struggling, please keep coming back. Um, I once heard someone say that, um, you know, we don't get ourselves abstinent. That's a higher power thing, whoever that is for you. But we are responsible for keeping ourselves abstinent. And that's through all the footwork and meetings and writing. And I'm going through the steps again. And I'm on the 11th step right now um, with a, a friend of mine. I needed a sponsor and her sponsor was unavailable. So we said, let's do these together. And so we're uh, giving away our 11th step. We're doing it through the, a workbook. And we're giving away our 11th step in, a, in about a week and a half. And um, I'm learning things yet again after going through the steps, probably 10. This is probably my 10th time of doing them all together. I've done, you know, one through three, probably every day, six and seven, all of the time, um, 10 step most days. And now I'm doing a daily written 10 step. Sometimes I forget at night and I do them in the morning. Um, and I, um, <clears throat> I don't, how am I time wise? 11, 11. Okay. And then five more, or that's my total left. That's where I'm at. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Um, so um, I I believe, and then I'll talk more specifically about my compulsive overeating, but I believe that part of why we continue to work the steps is because the steps are the recipe for getting and staying connected to our higher power. Um, I didn't believe in God when I came in. I didn't necessarily want to believe in God. I, um, I mean, when I got to Al-Anon, I just wanted to feel more powerful. Like I felt so unimportant in the world. And then when I got to OA, I just wanted you to tell me how to fix my food. And you said that you weren't a diet and calories club, but then people talked about abstinence. That was before we had the tool of food plan. But people talked about abstinence and I, I didn't quite get the difference. It took me a lot of years to get the difference between what we do here and what a diet and calories club does. And for me, my experience, and if you ask 100 people, you might get 100 different answers to this. But my experience was that what OA, that, that my eating disorder wasn't really about food. It happened that food was the thing that I had the allergy to. And certain kinds of foods I have a stronger allergy than other kinds of foods. But for me, it's more behavioral. It's like when when I feel full, I eat more. So I have to be careful to stop eating when I'm no longer hungry um, so that I don't get full because that triggers an obsession for me. And it doesn't mean that that's going to put me face down in the food, but it just means those are the kinds of things that I that I have to work, that I have to avoid and turn over to God and ask for reprieve from it every day. Um and I found for me that it was never really about the food. It was about all the all the things, all the um, 
you know, all the nails that I thought were hunger that really were like sadness or abandonment or loneliness or uh, feeling less than or fear, fear, you know, in the in the big book where it talks about the four step and it has the columns and it says we classify that fear ought to be classified with stealing. And that was so powerful for me because I felt like fear happened to me. And I started as I was working the steps, I started to realize that fear. Yes, yes, fear happens. And and um, but that I that it is like stealing. And so what I have to do is ask for God to lift the fear. I have to do contrary action so that while I'm afraid, do things anyway. And I'm just going through this career shift right now. I know I'm all over the place, but I'm going through this career shift right now where I retired from a full-time job about a year and a half ago during COVID. Um, I was doing another career part-time my, for many years um, in my own business. And I was so excited when I retired from my day job to do a lot more of this other career that I was building. And I retired and then I like, I got terrified and I lost my stamina and I didn't want to do more and I didn't want to market myself. And I didn't, and, and now like a year and a half later, I'm starting to realize that I'm, I'm starting to get, oh, I'm in fear. Oh, that's what that is. And I know what to do with fear. And, and maybe there's a part of it that maybe I really don't want to be doing this other career. And that's a side, you know, that's a separate thing. And I could figure that part out. But if the reason that I'm not doing more of what I thought I loved to do was because of fear, then I'm stealing from myself, you know? And so anyway, so I want to talk about God for a few minutes. Um, I didn't come in believing in God. I was raised in a religion where we did all the cultural stuff. Um, I had a bat mitzvah at 13. We went to, you know, places of worship. We did Passover seders. My family's very religious, but nobody talked about God. And I know now that my dad's sister, I, we were talking recently about politics, which I won't talk about here, but she said, I don't believe in God because a God, any God that would do what's happening in our world right now uh, is no God that I want to believe in, right? And my family is very hypervigilant about things. And I realized that I, I don't, I have to, def- like, when I was new, I went to this retreat at Camp Hess Kramer, and there was an exercise, they said, define God for yourself, define your higher power, here's a sheet of paper, write a one ad for your higher power. And, um, and I did that and I took it home and I put, I have, I have file folders and I have one that says like collectibles or program, or I put it in one of those. And that was my higher power. I stuck it in there. That's going to be my higher power from here until I die. And hopefully I'll still be in program. And, um, a few years into maybe 10 years or so into being back in Los Angeles, I was working with a sponsor who was so spiritual and, from my religion of origin, but she practiced an Eastern religion that really spoke to me. And I called her one day because I, I had found a, a higher power, like in my heart. Like I just, I found a higher power here that, um, that felt like, it, like I had a connection and it felt like this is something or somebody or some, whatever he, she, it, mother earth, father, sky, whatever it was, um, that I could give my, life to that I could give my fear to that I could give my envy to that I could give my whatever to that I really felt comfortable would hold it for me and at some point about 10 years in I started struggling with that concept and um and I called my sponsor um and I said I don't think I believe in God anymore and I did and now I don't and I don't know how to get that back and I was so 
pained about that. And she said, well, what's your higher power? And five minutes. Okay. And, and I took out the sheet and I said, well, here it is, like all these things. And I read it to her. I said, this is my higher power. I did it. You know, I've been there, done that. I defined my higher power. And she said, do you think possibly that your definition of your higher power has changed, but because you're sticking to what's on the sheet so rigidly that there's not room for higher power to change? And it was like a, a, an eye-opening experience. She said, I want you to try for a while not defining God. I want you to just see what happens, turn things over. Even if you, you know, whether you get on your knees or stand up to God or whatever you do, just trust that you're, that, that you're giving it to something. Go to the beach, try and stop the waves. If you can't, then you know that you're not it. And I, um, and I started expanding and, and I stopped defining and my higher power started expanding. And I still struggle with a, a lot of that. You know, I have some, some things in my lineage. I think we all do. And it doesn't matter who you are or what part of the country you're from or who you voted for or what you are. We all have stuff in our histories that probably have us, you know, in some ways, maybe by the throat. And I have those things and I wonder where was God in all that? And, um, and I've, what I've come to is, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If you ask me, I'll tell you, I don't know. Um, I, you know, those things break me apart, might break my heart apart still that those things happen and that there, there's more happening. And, um, and I worry about what's happening. And I think about our earth and my nephews and my nieces. And, but I don't know. I don't know where God is in that. And I'm, but I'm not where my aunt is where like, she's like, well, I don't, I wouldn't, any God that I would believe in wouldn't let those things happen. Like, I don't know. Maybe I don't. I don't know really where I'm going to wind up with that. Where I'm going to what lily pad I'm going to land on that. But what I know is that when I get down on my knees and I turn my food over to God, or I want to eat more than I need to, or last night my wife and I went out to dinner. We were walking in Century City, wondering if the all the holiday decorations were up yet. And there was this restaurant that we've never been to, kind of a pricey restaurant. We looked at each other and we said, "We can afford this. Let's go here." And I ordered a very abstinent meal just because that tends to be how I eat these days. And I um and I didn't finish it. Three minutes. Okay. I didn't finish it because I noticed that I was getting full. Right. And I know that when I get full, when I get too full, that that for me is my that's a hook for me that I want to eat more. Why? Because my brain is wired wrong. Because whatever this, whatever it is about compulsive overeating. Um, and so I was sad that I had to stop eating and I had to stop eating and I brought some of it home. And um, like half of the side dish and half the chicken, and I ate all the salad because that's how I roll. Um, and it's sitting in my refrigerator and it was really good and it's going to be really good again. And I knew if I eat it now, I'm going to get overfull. I'm going to get triggered. If I bring it home, there's, there's going to be another meal. Like that's, we get another meal. There's always another meal. And I remember I was at a, um, a weekend, and I'll just wrap up with this. I was at a weekend, I think it was a region two retreat in Sacramento, and someone that I see on the Zoom screen was speaking, and she said something like, you know, you all know what it's like to know that it feels like Christmas Eve because we get breakfast tomorrow. And, you know, and I said that to my wife, who I think is one of us, and she, and she thinks she's one of us, but she's not here. And she's like, yeah, I don't really feel that way. And I was like, well, it's not literally like we feel like it's Christmas Eve or Hanukkah Eve or whatever. It's like to wake up in the morning and be excited about another meal in, in a way that's like, I don't know, like something like I'm getting to see Hamilton again. Well, I get breakfast, you know, so whatever. Anyway, um, 
my, um, you know, I, the things that I do, the program is important. Meetings are important. Those, my sponsor is important. I had to learn, by the way, that my sponsor is just a tool. She's not my higher power. I, I learned that from a sponsor early on. Um, one minute. Okay. Thank you. I learned from a sponsor early on because she had limited times when I could call her and I called her outside of a time that I could call her and she wasn't free. She said, I'm not free, but call me tomorrow between six and 10. And I'll, you know, and we can talk about this. And it felt so urgent to me. And I got to, and she said, well, then call somebody else. And I got to learn, she's not my higher power. I thought she was my higher power. I thought my therapists were my higher power. I got really confused about my higher power. It's not a human power because no human power can keep me abstinent. So I had to get a higher power. I had to work the steps and continue to work the steps. Um, six and seven are huge for me because that's where everything I feel like gets lifted. So I don't have more amends to make. Um, my food is clean today. I didn't tell you that um, I've been a size 16. I've been a size two. I'm, you know, a little, I'm up from a size two. I'm not close to a 16 and somewhere in there. And I mostly don't weigh myself. Some weeks, I couple couple times I do. I haven't for a while. And I noticed that my pants still fit the same. So it's all good. Um, there's my time. I come to a meeting almost every day. And that's, that's how it works for me. So um, I look forward to hearing from all of you.